0: Happy Valentine's Day, first of all. I appreciate you uh, being in church on uh, on the night of Valentine's Day. I know that uh, many people like to go out and about and uh, do their kind of Valentine thing and go to... Fancy dinners that are too expensive for them and buy gifts that will get thrown away at the end of the night But you guys decided to invest in the eternal So I appreciate that and uh, just a little note of advice for those of you who feel sad because you're single on valentine's day Um, It's really not that big of a deal. I can promise you that I never had a girlfriend on actually valentine's day um, Until karen three years ago, so uh, and i'm married and everything's great So you don't need valentine's day to find your wife or your husband. You don't need valentine's day to have a happy family one day. You don't even need Valentine's Day um, to to, to just be happy in life. It's just a made-up holiday. Um, If you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, enjoy it. If you don't, enjoy it. Enjoy being single. It's okay. You don't need to always have a boyfriend or girlfriend. I know that the world pushes that on you all the time, especially Valentine's Day, and you're like, oh my gosh, I I look at social media and I hate my life, but don't hate your life because you have a great life, and and you'll realize one day that you know, there's gifts to being single as well. And so uh, enjoy the moment that you're in uh, always. And uh, I know that God has you right where he wants you uh, right now. Okay, cool? All right, very good. Um, So this week we're gonna talk about dreams, but we're not gonna talk about the dreams we talked about a couple weeks ago where we were talking about like the path for our life, God's dream for our life. I'm talking about like actual dreams, the ones that you have when you go to sleep. And so many of you will say, um, you know, I don't dream that much. I've heard friends tell me before, like I don't dream that much. I I, I just go to sleep and I wake up, and there's just a bunch of darkness, um, and, and I don't I don't remember anything. Um, the truth is that all human beings dream. Um, blind people dream. Uh, people with dementia and Alzheimer's dream. Um, it's like basically 99.9 percent of humans dream at night. They go to sleep and they dream. Now. You may not remember your dreams, but you do dream. You dream, on average, between like 3 and 12 dreams per night. Some are like uh, 10 seconds long, and some are like 30 minutes long, and, and everywhere in between. Even if they seem like they're hours and hours, sometimes they're just like 15 or 20 minutes in reality. Um, and where do dreams come from? Dreams, uh, you know, they come from your subconscious. They come from thoughts you've had and, and you've forgotten about. They've come through from experiences. They've come from the uh, the TV shows or movies you've watched. They come from things that you might want. Uh, sometimes they're symbolic. They, they're, they're completely off the wall, and you're like, what does that even mean? And, and sometimes it means something. Sometimes it doesn't. There's this, this whole group of people that, like, studies dreams and, and, and tries to find out what they mean, and that's been kind of the way it's been throughout history. Um, but they, they come from a lot of different things. The average person dreams about six years of their life. So think about that. Six years of your life are spent dreaming Not just sleeping, because sleeping would be more like, I don't know, like 12 years of your life or something like that. But six years of your life are spent sleeping in a deep sleep cycle where you are dreaming. And many of you, how many of you have seen Inception? The Leonardo DiCaprio movie. I love Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, he, He had this movie called Inception, and it was all about like dream fighting and like, Um, like, getting into people's dreams and, like, changing their minds. And, like, I I watched it and was totally confused, but it was a great movie. Um, But in some form or fashion, it was about dreams and this idea of lucid dreaming, which means, like, you kind of control what you're doing when you dream. And there are people that, like, wake up every morning and journal what they dreamed so that the next time they're in a dream, they can remember it and, uh, and they can realize it and then they can, like, do whatever they want. They can walk through walls and, like, fly and do everything that you wish you could do in your imagination, but they do in their dreams. It's called lucid dreaming. Here's a fun fact. It's my favorite fun fact, and we were talking about it with some of my friends the other night, is that in your dreams, every single person you see is a real person. Every single person you see is a person that like you've actually seen before, and you may not recognize them. It may have been someone you walked by in the mall like 10 years ago in another city, but Every single face you see, your mind can't make up faces. It's a, uh, your dreams can't make up faces. All it can do is, like, put in faces that you've seen before. So um, anytime you're in a dream and you, like, have, like, all these extras in your dream, and you're, like, the star of the show, of course, but then there's all the extras. All those extras are real people, and they're, like, somewhere on earth, just, like, not even knowing that you're dreaming about them. But you're dreaming about them, and their faces are kind of just bobbing around in your world, um, And so uh, you cannot make up a face. That's a pretty cool thing. Um, I I am known among my friends and some of the the people that are close to me as a very weird dreamer. I have uh, strange dreams. And like Joseph in uh, in Genesis 37, a couple weeks ago, uh, I'm usually not super afraid to share them. Um, And so I will usually tell my, my close friends some of the weird dreams I have. And and uh, they look at me like I'm a psychopath because I just, I just have strange dreams. And I think if many of us were to admit it, we have strange dreams as well, but um, not everybody's willing to, and not everybody remembers those dreams when they wake up the next morning. Um, but I have some strange dreams, and if I were to share them here, I would get fired, and I, it's not an appropriate thing to do in church. But, um, but I can not share like an anxiety dream. Has anybody ever had an anxiety dream? You know what an anxiety dream is? It's like where you are stressed out while you're sleeping, like that's like the worst thing to do is be sleeping and then be stressed out. But like in the dream, you're like worried, oh, I didn't turn in a test or I didn't turn into paper or like I get to school and like my biggest, uh, my biggest paper report is due. And I hadn't even thought about it once. Um, it might be a dream, an anxiety dream that, that someone passed away. Um, it might be a dream that like, I've had a bunch of dreams. And it's kind of weird because like, I'm not like super obsessed with like um, like cars and stuff like that, but I have a lot of dreams where like I drove I accidentally drive my car down like a like a steep hill into a lake I have that dream all the time and I'm like no 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 I the brakes aren't working and I can't get it and once it goes in the water it's done there it's just gonna be I'm gonna have to get a new car I have that dream a lot I don't know why but we have these anxiety dreams that are just like these things that um may have happened before, may not have happened, may just be things that we fear. Um, and every year, I had this dream last week, every year we uh, we go to Epworth, you guys know, and uh, we go to Epworth Fall Retreat, and some of you think that we just show up and it's like a camp, and like me and Cole get there and, and we're just like, hey guys, and they have everything set up for us and we just... Preach and uh, and and have a band, but the truth is, we do it all. We like plan it from five or six months out. We come with the theme. We come up with how we're going to decorate. We do the songs. We do the messages. We do all the giveaways, all that kind of stuff. And so it takes a lot of work. It's like the biggest thing we do. And so like last week, I had this dream um, that uh, it was it was time for Epworth 2016. And so we got up there and we're kind of getting ready and everything. And it's Friday afternoon, um, and I realized oh my gosh, we didn't even come up with a theme, much less a graphic or or like the way that we're going to like decorate or any of that. I don't even know what the theme is. And, And I'm like, I haven't written sermons. I haven't done anything. And I'm just sitting there like, oh my gosh, like, uh, like city on uh, city on a hill just went so well and maybe i just relaxed a little bit too much how did i let it get this far like how did i just go through july and august and september and october and not think about epworth one time what kind of what kind of student pastor am i what kind of leader am i i've just like driven epworth down into the ground this is ridiculous and i had to go to a conference that weekend and so like i'm i fly out on Friday night and I'm gonna come back on Sunday morning. So I I preached that night and I didn't have the right clothes either. All I had was like shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops and I was like, I don't wanna wear this to preach at Epworth and this stinks and I didn't even bring clothes with me. And then I go to this little conference and then I come back and I realized, oh my gosh, I didn't tell Cole he had to preach on Saturday. I didn't tell him he had to preach in the morning or the night. Not only did he not know he had to preach, he didn't know I was leaving. He didn't know what the theme was. And I just remember, like, there was like this moment as we passed each other in my dream, and he just like stared at me, just like, where did, why did you let me down? Like, what did you, what have you done, Ryan? And I was just like, I just didn't say anything. I kind of just gave him a, a knowing look and just walked away. Um, and then and then Sunday morning, I don't know what I preached. But I, once again, I didn't know what to preach. We've had these anxiety dreams. We have these dreams that seem so real. Um, you might wake up sweating. Uh, I know people wake up and they're crying because um, they, they had this dream of losing someone or losing something or something so stressful. Um, I've had all, all my grandparents have, have passed away. And I I, I often... I don't know what often is a few times a year I have dreams where I like have these conversations with my grandparents again and it's like really emotional. I wake up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I just got to talk to him and they like came down from heaven for a few minutes and talked to me and like, this was amazing. And then I woke up and it's like, it just seems so real and like, so just, um, just crazy. I, if how many of you know, Clive in Jamaica, many of you know, Clive, he is a, he's a guy with dreads. You've probably seen pictures of him. If you're wearing a cross necklace, he made it. Um, And, uh, he is, uh, he practices like the Rastafarian culture, but he doesn't, um, he he doesn't believe in like Selassie and stuff like that. He, as far as I know, is a Christian, um, and we've talked about it before, but he, he, he practices some of the dietary restrictions, that kind of thing. And as you know, many, uh, Rastafarians smoke marijuana and that's like kind of their normal, normal deal. Well, about, I don't know, four or five years ago, he quit smoking marijuana and he decided I'm not going to, I'm not going to practice that part of it. Uh, that's not something I'm going to do. And, uh, and a couple years ago, I remember he told me he had a dream that he was smoking marijuana again and that when he woke up, he was high. And I was like, I, I don't think that's how it works. I don't think you can really get high from a dream. But that's sometimes what dreams seem like. They seem so real that like, it's like, oh my gosh, like what I just experienced had to have happened. And, and what we're going to get in, in this reading tonight in Genesis 40 and 41 It's a bunch of dreams, a bunch of dreams that are um, not only seem very real, but they mean something. They mean something for what's going on in the day-to-day life uh, of these people involved. And so we're going to look at chapter 40, and I'm going to go through and uh, go verse by verse, and I'll stop and start. So make sure you have your notes and uh, check out the verses up on the screen. Starting at verse 1 of chapter 40. And we're going to cover a lot, but we're going to move pretty quickly. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt, who is Pharaoh. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Just coincidentally happened to be the same house where Joseph was confined. Verse 4, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. Notice what's happening. God is continually continually placing Joseph in a path along the dream that he has for Joseph's life. And so if you notice Joseph just happened to have these traders walking by when his brothers were about to kill him. And they just happened to sell him to them. And if you notice if you went back and read 37, they just happened to be going to Egypt. And then on the way to Egypt, they just happened to drop him off at the captain of the guard, a high-ranking official in Egypt, Potiphar's house. And he just happened to be framed for adultery um, by Potiphar's wife, even though he didn't do anything wrong. And he just happened to be thrown into the prison of the royal criminals. And now he just happens to be assigned to these two guys. God's continually placing him where he needs to go, and just so you know about the bu- the baker and the 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 uh, cupbearer, a lot of times we hear that and we're like, oh, these guys are just like little servant, menial guys, slaves. Um, more than likely, these two men were royal. They were uh, like kind of princes or cousins or brothers or stepbrothers, some kind of royal people, royal blood, and that they uh, they were um, actually in charge of a whole lot. The baker was in charge. He was like the royal chef, and you know, like. Um, You've seen the chef shows on TV, like chefs make a lot of money. Chefs can be very, very prestigious, and that's how this guy was. This is the head chef for all of the royalty in Egypt. He would deal with the meat. He would deal with the bread. He would bake stuff. He would make sure that nothing was poisoned, nothing was put before Pharaoh that was not good. The cupbearer was the same thing. He was not just a cupbearer who just brought a cup to him. He was actually in charge of all the vineyards. He was in charge of the wineries. He made the wine. He decided what went before the king went before Pharaoh, what, what, would, what he would drink, how he would match it with the, uh, with the food and all that. He was a very important, and of course, also he was in a very intimate situation because he had to make sure that the, the, the king was not getting anything that was uh, poison or bad for him, or even just uh, not good um, that the, the, the king would not like. And so these two men were very, very powerful people. So the fact that Joseph was attending to them is a big deal, And so we'll continue. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in the custody with him in the master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. The first two things in your notes is God has a plan that is always in action. We talked about that just a second ago. God was continually putting him in the path where he would achieve God's dream for his life. And even though it seemed like he was in the, 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 just, uh, the worst situation possible, he had gone from slave, which is pretty low, down to prisoner, which is even lower. He was a prisoner slave, and it seemed like nothing was going well for him. But God has a plan that is always in action. A couple of weeks ago, we said that God has a plan for you in the pit. If your circumstances stink right now, God still has a plan for you. God has a plan for you no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what stage your life, no matter what season you're in. God has a plan that's always in action. We see this as Joseph continues to move forward. The second thing we see here um, is that we are called to serve even... When circumstances are bad, we are called to serve even when circumstances are bad. Look at the situation Joseph was in. He was a prisoner. He had not only been made a prisoner, but he was wrongfully accused. He did not do anything wrong to be put in prison, and yet he's in prison. And so, what he really should have done, what he could have done, what many of us would do, is he would have just felt pity on himself. Man ah, you know, I listen to God and my brothers beat me up. I listen to God, I get sold into slavery. I listen to God, I get accused of something I didn't do. Now I'm in prison, I'm just worried about me. I'm just gonna get mine. I'm just gonna make sure I can do what I need to do to get further in life, to get closer to getting out of here and just running away and doing my own thing. I have no one to go to and he could have just felt sorry for himself. But what do we see? Even though he's been in prison for some time, he is continuing to serve. Not only does he, does he continue to, to be kind of like put into high positions, even in the prison, he's, he's kind of over the whole prison. Um, but he wakes up one day and instead of waking up and saying, I'm in prison again, I'm still in prison. That dream last night I had of being free or that, that repeat dream I had of my brothers bowing down to me. It's all gone. It's all fake. Here I am sitting in this nasty prison and I got to go deal with these guys these these royal snobs who for some reason made Pharaoh mad and are just sitting here and I got to go help them and I got to go deal with them. But instead, what he does is he looks at them and notices that they're downcast. He notices in the midst of everything that's going on with him, he notices that they're saddened, that they're disturbed, that they were dejected. And so he goes up to them and he looks for a way to serve. So we are called to serve even when circumstances are bad, I want to challenge you on something, and then we'll move on. If you are in, if you're ever, we should always, we should always serve, God calls us to serve, but if you're ever in a bad situation, if you're ever in a situation where you're feeling down on yourself, where circumstances are bad, where you've lost someone, where where something's gone wrong in your life, something isn't the way you thought it was going to be, I would challenge you to serve for two reasons. One, there's always someone that has it worse than you, and that's just something that we realize as we serve. But the more important thing, that's just kind of a, a perspective thing. The more important thing is that when we serve, the focus goes off of us. The focus goes on to Jesus. The focus goes on to another person and their needs. What do they need? What can I do for them? And all of a sudden, we're not so concerned about our world and what's going on in our world. Our perspective kind of changes of the, what we're looking at. And all of a sudden we realize there's other things going on in the world besides just me, just my problems. So I would encourage you, when, the things, are just, when things are at their worst, look for a way to serve. It's, it's really one of the, it's like, it's like Samuel said, it's one of those things where God asks us to serve, he commands us to serve, and it's one of those things that does make our lives better, that changes the way we look at the world. And so he, he continued to serve even in bad circumstances. Moving on, uh, verse 9. The chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. This is what it means. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand as he used to when you were his cupbearer. But, but when all goes well with you, Remember me. Just this one thing. Just remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Because I was forcibly carried here from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being in a dungeon. I've done nothing wrong. So just remember me. I've given you good news. I helped you out. It's going to be good for you. Everything's going to be all right. Just, just remember me when you get back into that, that position of power. So it's like Joseph's putting in his request. Sometimes we think we like figured out God's plan and we're like, okay, now I see how it's lining up. I, I see, I see kind of how the stars are aligned. I see what God was trying to teach me. And we think we're like a step ahead of God. And we think, well, this is where everything's going to be okay. And Joseph's kind of in that situation. He puts in his request. He thinks he sees his big chance and he kind of does, but he kind of doesn't. If we remember Proverbs 16:9 uh, from a couple weeks ago, it says that we may have plans but God establishes our steps. God establishes where we go. Even no matter what we come up with, God has a plan for our lives. He determines how things go. And so even though Joseph puts in his request here and he thinks he's got it all figured out, God still has a plan. So we continue on. When, chief, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. And so he kind of is like, all right, I had a similar dream to the cupbearer. We're kind of on the same level. We're both important. He had a great dream. We got put into prison at the same time. So good news. I'm going to come ask for my deal. I'm going to ask for what I'm going to get. And so he goes up, and you can imagine he's got a smile on his face. He knows, man, I'm about to get my big break. Pharaoh's remembering me, and Pharaoh is remembering him, um, but for a slightly different reason. He says, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread, kind of like the three three vines. And the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means. Joseph said the three baskets are 3 days. And you can imagine the baker he's like, "Yeah, okay. I got it. I got it. We I got I see how this is going. We got 3 days. 3 days. I'm just like the cupbearer, no problems. I'm about to get back into my position where I deserve to be. Within 3 days, Pharaoh will lift off your head." And you can imagine him being like, "Did you say up? Was that up? Like he's going to lift my chin up and he's going, to kind of, he's going to kind of put me back in my position. And Joseph's like, uh, not exactly. He's going to lift off your head. And then he's going to impale your body and put you on a pole for everybody to see. And then the birds of the air, they're, they're not just going to leave you there. The birds of the air are going to come peck away at your flesh until you're just a skeleton and you just fall the rest of the way down to the ground because you're not, there's nothing to impale all your skin and your organs are gone. That's essentially what he says. And you can imagine the banker being like, Okay, never mind. I don't really want to hear my dream anymore. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't really believe you. I know you told him that, but I think my dreams got a little bit of a better deal. But no, he had, um, he had what was more of a nightmare um, compared to the cupbearer. And so Joseph tells him what's going to happen. He's going to lift off his head. That means he's going to cut off his head. He's going to impale his body on a pole. Real violent. Now, verse 20. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials so so far so good for joseph and in his interpretation everything's going right he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into pharaoh's hand but he impaled the chief baker just as joseph had said to them in his interpretation the chief cupbearer however did not remember joseph he forgot him he forgot him Verse 1 of 41, when two full years had passed, how many years? Two years. Two years in a disgusting, wretched, B.C. Egyptian prison. Two years rotting away in a cell. Two years of having to deal with the day-to-day regrets and the day-to-day questions of God. And Joseph is still in prison how quickly the cupbearer forgot about him. And he thought he was ready to see what God's plan was for him, and yet he had to just continue to wait. The third thing in your notes, patience comes from trusting God's plan. Joseph had to have patience when he was forgotten by the cupbearer. He had to have patience. And patience and trust are very closely linked. You may not think about this this way, but patience and trust are very closely linked. Links Because we want everything right away. We want everything right now. We have a very um, right now culture. I want to look at something. I want to look up my information right now. I want um, uh, I want to get this gift right now. I want it to be summer right now. I want it to be college right now. I want to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend right now. I just want it right now, right now, right now. When I, when I was driving, like the, the, or when I was 15 and 16, the worst thing was waiting for, to get my driver's license. It was excruciating. And I was just like, i got to drive right now. i got to drive right now. And I didn't get my, because I'm like younger than the rest of my classmates and because I waited a little bit to get my permit, um, I didn't get my, my, my license until I was almost done with my junior year. And it was just excruciating watching everybody else drive around. And I was just stuck getting rides from my parents. And I was impatient. And we hate waiting. But our impatience tells us something. Our impatience tells us that we don't trust God's plan. We may not think about it that way, but what we're saying when we say, oh, gosh, I cannot wait for this. We're saying, I don't trust you to give me the best thing, God. I don't trust you to um, give me the timing that I want. I, I want my plan to happen. I want my thing to happen. And so patience... It comes from trusting God's plan. If we trust God's plan, if we trust that he loves us, which he does, if we trust that he is for us, which he is, if we trust that he has a plan for us, which he does, it's a lot easier to be patient. It's not patient. It is not super easy, but it's easier to be patient when we trust in the one that's executing the plan. If we know that he has our best interests in mind, and we have to remember that God sees everything. We just see a very limited perspective. We see our one little perspective of time and place and space and relationships and all that. And God sees everything. He's moving the chess pieces. He sees how everything is going to work out. And he's got perfect timing. He's got a perfect plan. He sees the big picture. And if we trust him, we can have patience, even when things aren't going our way. So we're going to continue through, and we're going to move super fast now. So Pharaoh has a dream. He was standing by the Nile, When out of the river. There rose up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they were grazing among the reeds. So these are seven very healthy cows. Verse 3, after them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. But then he fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. But like we talked about how dreams seem so real sometimes, in verse 9, I'm sorry, in verse 8, it says, In the morning, Pharaoh's mind was troubled. Pharaoh's mind was troubled. These dreams had been so real, so vivid. And so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. And then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, me and the bread maker. And he, he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there. He's talking about Joseph, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Look how quickly his fortunes have changed. All of a sudden, after all the waiting, he's there in front of Pharaoh made to look look clean and presentable for the king. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Keep in mind, he's in front of the most powerful man in the world, the man who, if he said something he didn't like, he could just say, off with your head, I'm going to kill you, get out of here. And look at what he says. He does not answer with, sure, I can do it. I got your back, Pharaoh. I'm going to do it. This is the first few words he says. These are the first four words he says. Just ridiculous words to say in his situation. I cannot do it. That's what he starts with. That's his big idea, to come up to Pharaoh and say, I cannot do it. To start with a kind of twist on words. I cannot do it, Pharaoh. He replied to Pharaoh, but God. Everybody say, but God. Everybody say, but God. Say, but God. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Here's the fourth thing on your notes. Always give glory to God. In everything, in good and bad, give glory to God. No matter the circumstances, give glory to God. He deserves the glory. He deserves the praise. He is, every good gift comes from him. Always give glory to God. So he gives glory to God here. He says, I can't do it, Pharaoh, but I have a gift from God. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And also keep in mind, these kings thought they were gods. People worshiped them as gods. And so for him to say, my God has the answer, he would be like, no, 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 I don't have the answer. I'm the God. I don't have an answer. But he was speaking of another God in the presence of such a powerful man. He took a lot of guts to give God that kind of glory. In verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. And he's just going to describe the dream. Out of the river came up seven cows. They were fat. They grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up. They were scrawny. They were nasty. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. Verse 20, the lean, ugly cows ate the seven fat cows. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. Then I had another dream. I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads heads sprouted, withered and thin, scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. None could explain it to me. And these are the last few verses we're doing. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Once again, pointing to God to God's control over the situation. The seven good cows are seven good years, and the seven good heads of of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. He was saying these two dreams are the same exact thing. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. That means there will be no food, there will be no livestock, there will be nothing. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt, all the great years of seven, uh, great years of crops and and livestock and economy and money is all going to be gone. It'll be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. Verse 31, the abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. And this is the last verse. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God... We'll do it soon. Another reminder from Joseph to Pharaoh that you are not God, I am, or, or, or my God is, is God. And that he is the one that is gonna decide what's gonna happen to Egypt. He is the one that gave you the dreams. It is all on him. Nothing was gonna change that, even Pharaoh. He's the, here's the last thing um, in your notes. It says this, use the gifts God has given you to change the world. Use the gifts God has given you to change the world. Joseph um, is one of two people, especially him and Daniel, that have the ability to interpret dreams from God in the Bible. And he decided that instead of keeping it to himself, instead of feeling sorry for himself, he was going to use it to serve people. And not just anybody, but the lowest of the low, prisoners, and the highest of the high, Pharaoh. He was going to use his gift to change the world. He was going to give glory to God and save people through his gift. And he used it to serve people. So my last question for you as we close is, uh, what gift do you have that you can serve God with? What gift has God given you that you can use to serve him, to serve others, to serve his kingdom? Now, a lot of times when we hear gifts, we think of a couple of things. We think, uh, well, gifts are just like leadership. Gifts are speaking. Gifts are athletic ability or, or, or the ability uh, to be a, a long-term missionary. You can go ahead and come up, Sam. Um, it, it's, it's the big things. That's all that matters. But the truth is anything we can do and do well or that we're passionate about is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. If you are kind, that's a gift from God that you can use to serve him. If you are um, smart... That's something that you can use to serve him. If you have um, the ability to sing, you can use that to serve him. If you have the ability to play an instrument, you can use that to serve him. If you are sympathetic to people, like when you see someone, your heart goes out to them and you care about them, you have compassion. That's a gift you can use to change the world, to change someone's life. If you have the gift of making friends, the gift of popularity, the gift of influence, you can use those things to change others, to serve God. What gift has God given you that you can use to serve him? Again, Joseph could have kept it to himself, but he didn't. He used it to serve others, to serve a foreign nation, to serve a foreign king who didn't even know about his God. But nobody was above the gift. He, he was going to share that gift with anyone and everyone because God gave it to him. So here's what I want you to do. Um, we gave you these little cards, nothing special, half of an index card, and we gave you pins. And what I want you to do is uh, write down the answers to one of these two things. And it may be both of them, or it may be just one, uh, one or the other. But here's what I want you to, to put on the card. The first thing would be, I want you to think of a gift that you've been given that you can use for God, that you can use for others. And this may not even be a gift gift. Um, that, that has anything to do with church or anything to do with anything that, like that. Any kind of gift that you can use to benefit other people to benefit God's kingdom. And I want you to write that down. And maybe, maybe it, may, it takes you thinking about it for a second. Maybe you know the thing right away, but maybe it's something like, maybe you gotta really think, what, what do I love? What do I love to do? What am I passionate about? What am I good at? It could even be something like math. I'm, I'm good at math. How can I use math to change other people's life, to benefit other people? How can I use uh, something that that I'm good at to benefit others? So first thing is fill out the card with the gift that you want to use for God. Here's the second thing. What area of your life do you need to be patient in and trust God with? The area of your life where um, things are just kind of falling apart, things are bad, things are not as you want, the circumstances are not good, life has been unfair to you, your timing hasn't necessarily worked out the way you thought it would. What area of your life do you need to be patient in and trust God with? And I want you to write that down. So you may write down the answers to both, you may write down either, but um, during these last couple songs, um, <clears throat> of, of course, the, the altars are open. We have prayer cards that you can fill out, and we'd love for you to just drop them in the bucket. Um, but as, you, uh, as we close out this time of, of, of prayer and praise and, and worship, <clears throat> I want you to uh, take a picture of that card, uh, maybe show it to your life group leader, show it to your friends so that there's some level of accountability, so that there's some level of like, this is what I want to give over to God. This is a situation. This is a gift that I want to give over to God. And then I want you to come up here and lay it on the altar. You can lay it face down if you want. You don't have to put your name on it anything like that. In an act of serving God, in an act of showing God, I want to give these things to you. And I want you to spend some time praying over it. If you want to bring someone with you to pray with you, you want to bring a life group leader to pray over you, I'd ask you to do that. That's why they're here, to pray with you, to be a part of you walking towards Christ, of learning more about being a disciple of Christ. So fill it out with those two things. The gift that you want to use for God, that you want to hand over to God, and the area of your life that you need to be patient in and trust God with.